this text in chapter 18 is really it's pretty straightforward in some ways it's a narrative um i mean like the rest of john but more so it's just john is essentially laying out what's happening to jesus before the cross and so that's where we are in the story but i want you to do two things for me as we go through chapter 18 in john first after each section i'm going to ask some questions and I'd love to just get your responses. Um, but one, I want to I want you guys to recognize that throughout this text that John wants to make it absolutely abundantly clear that despite the things that are happening, that Jesus is still in control. He's in powerful control of the whole situation, even though things look completely upside down. And so John, I really believe he's communicating that to us. So that's the first thing. The second thing I want you to think through as we're looking at this text is um, we're going to get a kind of a vignette uh, of Jesus and his response to what's happening and Peter and his response to what's happening. And I, I don't believe it's by accident that John is setting the story up the way he does. There's this stark contrast between these two characters of, of how they respond to these trials or, or what, what's about to happen. And so um, you're going to see Peter's uh, cowardice and Jesus, Jesus's courageousness, if, uh, if you want to put it that way. And so, um, so before we get to chapter 18, for those who don't know where we are in the story, I want to remind you real quick, and I'm just going to summarize where we at uh, where we're at during this Passion Week and how we got here. First of all, um, the Passion Week, the week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion starts on a Monday, and it's actually in John chapter 12. And if you remember in John chapter 12, that's when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem and the people welcomed, them, welcomed him and said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, uh, riding on a donkey, if you remember that. Uh, in chapter 13, that's the chapter where Judas betrays Jesus. Uh, chapter 14, uh, Jesus ends up talking about the Holy Spirit and how he's going to send the Holy Spirit and he'll be with us forever. Chapter 15, he continues to teach through um, basically how to abide in him and bear good fruit for God's kingdom. Chapter 16, he continues to teach about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit will convict us and guide us into all truth. Then chapter 17, we get this vignette, again, this picture of Jesus in the garden, praying to the Father. And there's some key things that he was praying for, if you remember, he's praying for unity and he's praying that we be sanctified in the truth. Your word is truth, John 17, 17. And so now, and now we're all the way, we went from Monday in John chapter 12 to the early wee mornings of Friday. So this is almost like in the middle of the night of what, what we're about to read. And so um, that's kind of where we are in the story. And um, I want to see how I can actually do this. Before we get into this, this was one of these stories real quick. This is, this is one of these stories where 
I've read this story before, and I shared this with Jared, um, where I, yeah, I had one of those aha moments of like, hey, I after I studied that, I was like, wow, I finally know exactly what's happening here. Um, but specifically with Pilate. So does everybody know who Pilate is? Pilate was the governor, essentially, um, in the area of Jerusalem. And I, I had no idea how unpopular he was. And we'll, we'll get to all that. But that plays into the story in John chapter 18. So um, we'll talk about that later. But let's, uh, let's start into to John chapter 8. And we'll start reading here this first chunk. John chapter 18, verse 1. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which his disciples had entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers of the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. They drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And Jesus, and, and they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I have not lost one. And Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the, the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the father has given me. So the setting uh, is the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. And I want to show you a picture, actually, because I've been there, <laughs> believe it or not. I think it's uh, it'll give you an idea of where we're at. Let me share my screen. So this, I mean, we don't know the exact spot, but uh, if you could see that on your screen, this is the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's actually looking westwards towards uh, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And so that dome you see is the Dome of the Rock. It's actually a Muslim Dome of the Rock. But um, this valley, there's this olive trees, obviously, where I'm standing and taking the picture. That's the garden where Jesus is right now in our story. And then if you go further towards the Temple Mount, there's um, the Kidron Valley. That's that valley. And then obviously there's a Temple Mount, which is that big gold thing right there. So I thought I'd share that, give you an idea of kind of where we're at in the story. Pretty cool, huh? <laughs> um, this was a place, uh, if, just as a reminder, this was a place where Jesus and his disciples would frequently visit. And so, um, it says that actually in verse two, it says Jesus often met there with his disciples. So this was a, 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 a place where they were really familiar with. Now, I want you to look at something real quick uh, in verse 
uh, verse 3, says, so Judas, Judas had procured, procured a band of soldiers and some officers with the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. So just from studying, um, or I don't know if you guys have seen the Passion of the Christ, but um, that that whole uh, that whole scene where they come to arrest Jesus and there's like, you know, 15 or 20 guys in, in the, the Passion of the Christ, that's not accurate, <laughs> believe it or not. So in studying uh, the word in the Greek actually means Roman cohort, and they could be as much as 600 soldiers, Roman soldiers that came to arrest Jesus. More than that, you also had temple uh, guards uh, uh, and officers that were with, um, with Judas to come to arrest Jesus. So after studying, some commentators are saying somewhere between 600 and 1,000 people came to actually arrest Jesus, which is pretty crazy. I, I must have forgot that fact in, uh, in Bible college, but I thought that was really cool. But I guess here's my question to you. Can anybody think why there would be that many men at this point in the story who came to arrest Jesus? It's going gonna, it's gonna to cause you to actually think back at some of our stories of maybe what happened in chapters 1 through 17. Why were there so many people come to arrest this humble, lowly carpenter? Uh, reminded of um, the feeding of the 5,000 where the crowds um, wanted to like anoint him as, as king almost. And uh, even though like Jesus slipped away from that, but maybe from the Romans perspective, they just see this, this person who has lots of power and, and affecting crowds. Maybe, I don't know, that's what I think of. Maybe yeah. the Romans thought that he might have a very large following, therefore they might need a lot of manpower. Yeah, sure. That's great. Uh, anything, anything else that you can think of? I was thinking maybe because uh, he's given them the slip in the past. They're trying to okay. stone him and stuff, and he's gotten away. And they're like, we got to get a lot of people to cover our bases because this guy is sneaky. Okay, great. Okay, that's good. Do you remember uh, in John chapter 2 what happened at the temple? Do you remember his miraculous clearing of the temple? I don't know if you guys remember that, where we're looking at the story where Jesus is seeing all these money changers and he gets really upset and he ends up clearing the temple. And from the text, it looks like he did it by himself, which in itself is a miraculous feat. But more than that, Matthew in Matthew 21, it actually records a second time that Jesus had cleared the temple. So there was once in his uh, beginning of his ministry, and then kind of at the end of the three-year ministry, there was a second time where Jesus cleared the temple. And this, I mean, you can imagine, I guess, from a logistics point, point I mean, from, from the Roman soldiers, I'm sure they felt like, hey, this guy is not just some lowly carpenter. He's done miracles. There's something different about him. And he's even cleared the temple twice single-handedly. And so I think just from a logical viewpoint, you could see why that there were so many soldiers sent to actually arrest Jesus. The last thing I want to touch on here is the reactions from both Jesus and Peter. 
So let me ask you a question from the text. Does it seem that Jesus, well, let, let's just say this. What, what, what two reactions do you see here? What's Peter's reaction and what's Jesus's reaction to what's happening? We have, we have Jesus's reaction, if you want to read real, real quick, in four through nine, and then 10 and 11 is Peter's reaction. What's, what's Jesus's reaction to this whole thing? Is he surprised? Is he scared? Is he, what's going on in this, this, uh, this part of the scriptures here? Um, I see. Uh, he seems to be at quite a bit of peace. It's like uh, peace versus fighting. That's Peter's response. Okay. I also see like he's ready. He's not afraid. He obviously he knew what is going to happen, and he, he was just like, "Okay, I'm here." Like you know, just like with a lot of peace. Good. Good. And what's what about Peter? What's his reaction? I think uh, it was said he's fighting and he's. I think the word that comes to mind is panic, maybe. Panic? Anxiety. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. I talked a little bit about this on, uh, on Sunday when I shared about communion. Um, it, it's interesting. Uh, in Matthew 26, when I, I guess the question is, is, you know, all this is happening, and it almost seems like Jesus is just letting it happen, right? Well, why is he letting it happen? Um, well, it's clear that obviously he trusts in the father's plan, right? Um, but more than that, the, my question came up is, could Jesus have stopped this if he wanted to? I'm seeing nods. Yes. No. Yes. Of course. Of course he could have stopped. In fact, in Matthew 26, um, he talks about if he wanted to, he can ask the father and the father will send 12 legions of angels you know, at his side to help him. But the difference here and the stark contrast that I want to drive home is that, and I think there's an application here. A lot of times when we go through trials and we don't understand something or the moment we feel, you know, we're out of control in our lives for some reason, I think we react, or at least I do a lot like Peter, right? Where I want to fight. I want to do everything I can to gain control of the situation instead of just going to God, praying and trusting in his plan. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't stand up for what's right, but I think there is a reality here where um, sometimes I think even me, when I go through trials that I can react like Peter and be really rash, freak out, get anxious um, and do a bunch of stupid things. So um, I think John He's going to continue to keep coming back to that fact because it's going to show he's going to show throughout chapter 18 as you go. He's going to show you Jesus and his reaction and Peter and his reaction over and over again. And this there's just like stark contrast between Peter's cowardice and Jesus's courageousness. So uh, any questions before we move on from that? 
All right. Well, let's keep going then. Uh, verse 12. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple who, had known, who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them standing and warming, his, warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and to the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the offers standing struck sorry, standing by, struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said was wrong, bear witness about the wrong, but what, if what I said was right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. All right, this is another section that I was kind of blown away after I was, I was done uh, studying this. So um, I don't know if you guys notice or this is confusing. Um, and maybe I'll address this that at the end. There, there's this whole idea that it looks like from the text that there's two high priests here. Um, uh, we, we can answer that at the end. I'll, I'll clear that up at the end uh, if there's any confusion here. But um, the sitting high priest at this time is Caiaphas, just to be clear. Uh, Annas was the high priest that was before uh, Caiaphas was sitting high priest. So, um, so let's talk about uh, Peter's first denial. Why? The question is, why do you guys think that Jesus or Peter denies Jesus at this point? He'd been obviously with Jesus for for three years now. He had seen miracles. He had seen signs. He had seen. I mean, undeniable proof Jesus said who he, who he was. He says he was. Why do you think Jesus, or why do you think Peter denies Jesus at this point? Says that he doesn't know him. Maybe because he feels like it's over in a way, like a, hope, a sense of hopelessness. Maybe. Good. Yeah, that's actually a really good thought. Uh, anything else? You know, I would always, um, when I replay this in my head, I, I always, you know, think of Peter as being scared because um, he's, you know, seeing what is, um, or, or guessing what's about to happen to Jesus. 
and so he doesn't want to tap to himself. Um, but on the other hand, I, 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 maybe that's the case. I, I maybe have to read the other accounts from the other gospel writers. But um, but you've, I kind of feel for him because he just did the real bold move by chopping off the guy's ear like he was fighting, right? So yeah. here it's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Am I supposed to like punch this girl in the face? Uh, no, that doesn't <laughs> seem right because Jesus just kind of rebuked me in that. So I, I kind of feel for him. He probably doesn't really know what to do. Um, yeah. and, but I assume there's some fear in there too. I would be scared. Sure. Absolutely. Anything else you guys can think of? I, I wonder if it's uh, strategic, like... I'm going to not exactly tell the truth so that I could be positioned to maybe get Jesus out uh, of the situation. If yeah, I just separate myself from, you know, him so that I could help him out. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's still trying to like retain control somehow. Right. Like, um, and figure out a way somehow to get Jesus, you know, out. Um, I was, I really thought about this and I thought, um, Maybe, and I guess this would run along uh, with what you said, Jared, that, um, you know, maybe he was just scared in some ways. Uh, he just chopped, a, you know, a guy's ear off. Maybe he was afraid that, you know, they were onto him, that he was going to get busted. Although in the other Gospels, just to be clear, after that event happened, Jesus actually healed the um, Malchus's ear. And so... Um, you know, maybe, maybe Peter's like, Hey, I'm going to get busted for this. I don't know. This girl's calling me out. Who knows? Um, but the other answer that I have, which we'll see later is it's because God's word says it would happen (laughs) that, you know, Jesus talked about how, how, you know, Peter was going to deny, um, him three times. And so we'll get to that later, but it's a fulfillment of, of, of prophecy. And so, this interrogation. So this is, this is one of those aha moments for me. Um, I had no idea how upside down this questioning was towards Jesus. And, and this, you guys got to get this. This is, it's super fascinating. First of all, um, they were trying to catch Jesus and, and, and put him to death somehow, right? Like they wanted to bust him. And this was all happening in the, like the wee hours in the middle of the night, basically. Um, And so the Mishnah actually forbids any type of trials being going on at night. And so it says in the Mishnah, it says, let a capital offense be tried during the day, but suspended at night. Uh, Other Jewish laws says, um, Criminal cases can be acted upon by various courts during the daytime only, but the lesser sahedrin. Um, but uh, from from the close of the morning till uh, till noon, and by the great sahedrin till the evening, but not obviously in the middle of the night. Uh, and listen to this: the reason why the trial of a capital offense cannot be held at night is because. As oral tradition says, the examination of such charge is like diagnosing a wound. In either case, a more thorough and searching examination can only be made by daylight. And so there's this logical thing that if you're going to try somebody for capital punishment, right, it should be going on during the day when you're awake, while you're vigilant, not in the middle of the night. And so it's crazy to me that they're, they're going 
like the Jewish leaders are going against what they should be doing here in, in so many ways. Uh, the second way that I, I realized is that this questioning uh, in verse 20, where, where Jesus, they, they ask him, right? And they're, they're asking him about his disciples, his teaching. And then Jesus responds and he says, I have opened, uh, I've spoken openly to the world. And then Jesus says, go ask the people that I've been teaching what they said. There's a reason why Jesus is saying that. It's because the Old Testament said to do that. Like, that's the correct way to go about uh, a trial if somebody's actually on trial. So, for instance, if a crime has been committed, right, you're supposed to go to the witness of the defendant first, right? Not, not the person in question himself and interrogate him. And that's exactly what's happening here. Like, the Jews should have been going to Jesus's uh, disciples and, and the people that had witnessed them to, to get testimony, not basically pin Jesus against the wall and start interrogating and questioning him directly. And so what looks like in verse 20, a smart aleck remark uh, by Jesus is not. He's just quoting basically scripture. He's saying, you guys, you're handling this wrong, basically. You need to go back and handle this correctly. Go ask Go ask the people I taught for witness testimony. And of course, we see that, you know, the, uh, uh, he gets slapped, right? And then again, Jesus appeals again for basically a fair trial in, in verse 23 and uh, in verse 23. And he's just saying, look, if I, uh, if I said something wrong, bear witness about the wrong, right? So, um, the whole thing, I just, I was kind of blown away. I just like, this is so backwards on so many different levels, uh, what they do. But by verse 24, they're not getting anywhere. So they say, okay, let's, let's send him to Caiaphas, the, the, the official sitting high priest to get answers. And so our story continues. Let's start and uh, keep going in verse 25. It says, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ears Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. Just to reinforce what I was saying before that we're trying to figure out why, why, did, G, or why did Peter deny Jesus? It was a fulfillment of prophecy, and that's found actually in John chapter 13, verse 36 to 38. I just want to read that real quick. This is the prophecy. Um, the text says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterwards. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. So again, the other reason why Peter denied Jesus here was because God's word said he would. <laughs> it's kind of um, simple and straightforward, but um, it's clear that that, I was, that was prophecy being fulfilled. And again, I think the story is here for us Right. Because in the in in the final hour here where it matters most, 
um, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, is sinning against God. And God himself is paying for that. He's in, in the process of paying for that sin. And if that isn't such a clear indication of God's grace, not only to Peter, but to us, I mean, I don't know what it is, right? Um, last week, we got done praying on Wednesday. And I, I don't know, I felt so good. I felt so uplifted. And, um, you know, it's like you have those moments where you feel really close to the Lord. And then all of a sudden, in the next moment, you sin. <laughs> like, what just happened? Um, we got done praying and I went downstairs and I was this close to having an argument with my dad, like, and just losing it. And I couldn't believe it because I was like, this is almost exactly what's happening in this, in this scripture that we're reading, right? In John chapter 18, it's crazy how it, it doesn't matter how close we are to Jesus. We just, it's our fallen human nature sometimes gets the best of us. And, um, and we can sin. And so, um, but yeah, I just, I believe John is, is setting up this stark contrast between Peter and Jesus uh, for a reason, namely to show God's grace. Uh, let's keep going on the story. Verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They said to them, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to him, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anybody to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king for this purpose. I was born and for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is the who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? So a um, little side note here on verse 28 um, it says that uh, the, the Jews, they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so they would not be defiled, uh, but could eat the Passover. Just a reminder, this is, um, this is the Passion Week, right? This is the week of Passover. Um, and they, they, the Jews at the time, they wanted to participate in the Passover, even in the midst of all this crazy stuff they still wanted to eat the passover they didn't enter the governor's headquarters um and the reason why is this this is another aha moment um they believed the jews at the time they believed um that entering a a gentile's home would actually defile them 
they would make them unclean. And the reason is, is because they believed that the Romans would actually flush their fetuses, you know, uh, away with their waste. And so the fact that there would be dead, these dead bodies within homes, uh, they didn't even want to, uh, they didn't want to defile themselves in that way. So I just thought that was another interesting thing. Um, uh, and then there's this other comment here that I want to make. It says that, um, you know, Jesus or uh, the Jews are bringing Jesus before Pilate. And it says that it's not lawful by their own law to put him to death. Uh, in 6 AD, the Jews lost the right to for capital punishment. And so the Romans actually took that away from the Jews. And so they were forced, if they wanted to put somebody to death, to actually bring them before a, a Roman governor or a Roman official. Now, here's the rub. This is, you, got, you guys got to get this. This is really, really cool. You see this, and we're going to see it in chapter 19 too, this back and forth, this weird thing. The Jews are in a situation where they can't put Jesus to death, right? But they want to kill him, right? They hate him. He's doing all these miracles. They're taking away their, his, their, their power and glory from the Jews at the time. Um, they believe that it's better that one person, this Jesus, die than the rest of the nation perish. And the reason is this. Their thinking was if Jesus became king or a king, the Romans would see that as a threat. And the Romans would come in if Jesus was king and wipe out the whole nation. So we have this predicament where the Jews, they can't put Jesus to death. They hate him. They want to put him to death and they have to bring him before Pilate. Now, here's the kicker. Pilate, I found out he was super unpopular with the Jews. And the reason why, why that was, was because there was three different things that happened. There was this like conflict that happened actually before this trial of Jesus, the time that, that Pilate actually was in office. There was three things that happened. First thing is when Pilate was put in office in Jerusalem, um, let me go grab my notes. This is so fascinating. You wanted to make a statement. And so when Pilate was first put in office, he wanted to make a statement that he was going to be in charge of the Jerusalem area. And what he did was bring in all his soldiers and make this, this huge show. He had his soldiers uh, carry these banners, put up these banners. And on the banners was these pictures of Caesar. And um, the Jews obviously didn't like that because they had a law saying that they couldn't have any graven images. So they complained. And they were allowed to complain. In fact, if they complained enough to the Caesar, that person would be put out of office if they had good grounds for that. So eventually, um, he ended up kind of giving into the Jews and they ended up taking the banners down. Um, the second thing that he did while he was in office was the water supply was inaccurate, uh, inadequate uh, at that time, right? And so, Pilate had this thing where he had to fix the water supply. And so instead of taking his own funds out of uh, Rome, he actually ended up robbing the temple. And when the Jews, the Jewish temple, when the Jews ended up rioting about uh, like rioting about this whole thing, he sent soldiers in to actually club some of the Jews and some of them actually were clubbed to death. So not not a smart move, obviously, not very popular. The third thing he did in his time of office was 
uh, he had made these shields uh, with inscriptions of, of Tiberius Caesar, um, just to show, I guess, you know, his uh, nationalism or whatever you want to call it to uh, Caesar. And, uh, and the Jews complained about that too, uh, to Caesar himself. Caesar ended up making Pilate take those down. And so Pilate had this history with the Jews that he, he wasn't very popular. And so you're going to kind of see this back and forth through chapters 18 and 19, where this is like this underlying rub between Pilate and the Jews. And they don't like each other very much, right? And so, but here we have Jesus in the middle of all this, where, you know, the Jews are trying to put Jesus to death, and he's trying to figure out what to do, because think about it. He's already unpopular. He's already in threat of potentially even being put out of office from the Caesar, right? If he makes any more wrong moves with the Jews. And so he's trying to figure out, like, what is going on here with Jesus? Why in the world are they trying to put, you know, Jesus to death here? Like, is he a king? And so that's what, that's what Pilate's trying to get to the, to the bottom of it. So he, he says in verse... 33 are you king of the jews and so what's jesus's response well jesus says yeah I, i'm a king but my kingdom is not of this world um the word is it's basilia for kingdom that, that that jesus ends up using and essentially it means reign kingship um not territory um and that's that's on purpose. Like Jesus doesn't want to tell Pilate, like my kingdom, uh, in the sense that he doesn't want to send any type of threat towards the Roman authorities, right? Jesus is just saying that his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It's not of this world. And then obviously after that, Jesus talks about truth. He's saying everybody that who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate by his response is sarcastic, essentially says, what is truth? Like, you know, he himself doesn't even know what truth is. Um, and so the text after that, if we keep reading, it says, after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man uh, for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So uh, Barabbas was a robber. Robber uh, literally means in the Greek, one who seizes plunder, but it might not only depict a robber, but a terrorist or a guerrilla fighter who partic participates in bloody insurrection. So that's what this guy was in for. Um, and so Pilate, doesn't want to put this guy to death, Jesus, because he doesn't want the Jews to complain somehow, or there, there be a riot because Jesus was so popular at the time, right? He's in this predicament. He, he's got a bad history with the Jews. He doesn't want there to be a riot. He knows how popular Jesus is. And so he presents this opportunity or, or tries to, to find a way out. Once he establishes that Jesus is not a king and a threat to the Roman empire, he looks at the Jews and he says, all right, I'm, I'm going to release to you either Jesus or this, this robber, right? And what does the crowd do? They, 
they say obviously not Jesus, but they want this robber to let go. And so that's all chapter 18. I know that was a mouthful. I rambled for quite a bit, but um, before I ask some more questions, um, kind of application questions, is there anything you see in the text that you want to go back over or that is not clear? Do you guys get the rub there? Like what's happening with, with Pilate's history, how he's unpopular? He doesn't want to be put out of office. Um, and I, I must have forgot that in college somehow because I, I studied that and I was like, wow, that, that makes so much sense now. Like why he seems so, um, you know, undecisive, I guess, as the story goes on of like, you know, what's going on here. So uh, any questions at all? No. Yes. Yes. So Jeff, what do you think verse six means? They drew back and fell to the ground. <laughs> yeah. So, so for next week, we're going to, no, um, no, that's a good question. So it's a, it's a strange text and I, I wasn't purposely avoiding it. I actually have notes on it. I just, what do you think? I skipped over it. I honestly believe, so Jesus throughout the book of John had identified himself as he used this word, the tetra, tetragrammaton, which means I am or the name of God, right? In Exodus, in the burning bush in chapter three, God had, had identified himself as I am or the existing eternal one, right? The eternal existing one. I am who I am. And Jesus, when he comes on the scene over and over again, he also identifies himself. I have to look at my notes. And I know in John chapter eight, he identifies himself as that. And so there's definitely right here in that verse where Jesus is saying, I am. And it seems as though by the response of the soldiers that not only were they frightened, but it looks like there's some sort of power coming from Jesus where the soldiers ball flat i'm I, that's what i believe um i i don't put it past you know jesus he's he's it's clear john is making a statement here that jesus is not running from what is happening he's establishing his power he's establishing that he is in control and this little detail here where he says you know they fall down i think he wants to drive home the point here is that jesus jesus is coming on scene and he ain't messing around, right? He he's he is who he says he is. And I think that it's a good detail that we can look up, trace back through the book of John and then all the way back into the Old Testament of who God says he was. So that's what I think. Thanks for bringing that up. I, I glossed over it somehow. One other, one other thing I do want to point out that I also uh, didn't talk about. It's fascinating. We, you know, we talked about, um, we talked about the stark contrast between Jesus and Peter, but it's crazy to me that in verse eight, look at verse eight, Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, 
So if you seek me, let these men go. And it's, of course, again, is a fulfillment of prophecy of those whom you gave. I have not lost one. There's this whole sense where even in the midst of being arrested, that Jesus is still protecting his own. Like, it's crazy, like, to see that, like, even in the midst of, of him being arrested, that he's putting, like, he's putting others before himself, which is nuts. Um, and it just shows his compassion, right? But not only that, it fulfills prophecy of what he's saying. I think that, like, if the rest of the disciples were arrested too, I, I, there's part of me that you think it might have been too much for them to bear. Like, maybe it would have been too much for their faith. They would have, like, I don't know, maybe they would have fallen away. Like, already you're going to see that they're scattered, right? But Jesus not only fulfills prophecy uh, in that verse, but it shows that he's even in the midst of this peak of trial and he's being arrested, that he's willing to to look out for uh, his disciples. So it's another side note. Another, another stark contrast between Peter and, and Jesus. So, uh, a famous theologian said, a call is not to fight uh, or flight, but to die. His name's Jared Dragoon, actually, that famous theologian. Um, I think that that uh, I think that sums up kind of what you know what our response should be, right? That Jesus Jesus didn't fight or flight, but he came to fulfill the Father's will and and die, right? And so I think there's an example for us to follow as well that um, you know to put to put others first, to take up our cross and and follow Jesus, right? And trust in the Father's will. And so, we don't need to fight for Jesus. It's clear that John, John is clear that, you know, Jesus is in control. He's powerfully in control um, throughout this whole chapter. 